Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. I often come across autism research, but most of the time reading the research is not a positive experience for me because... So often, I don't think that research benefits the autistic community. That's why I wanted to talk today with Heine Nitri about research that actually benefits autistics, as well as discuss with her about her career as a computational biologist and functional genomicist. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Heine, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Wanted to start off and kind of learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? So my story in the autistic community only started a little over a year ago. I first realized that I'm autistic after hearing an autistic woman, an advocate, talk about her experiences living in this world as an autistic person, and I immediately recognize myself in that. And this only happened in March 2021. And I dove into this rabbit hole of researching autism and connecting with autistic people. And I also started the assessment process and then received a diagnosis in the summer of 2021. And in the last year, I've become increasingly involved with advocacy work. I volunteer with a nonprofit called Autistics Unmasked, and I've written some commentaries, and I collaborate with a number of autistic researchers and professionals and advocates, mostly in this biomedical space. Now, um, you mentioned being in the biomedical space, and uh, you are a computational biologist and functional genomicist. So what exactly do you do in that role? So functional genomics is the study of how genes and genetic variants contribute to different biological processes and phenotypes. So most of my work is about understanding how common genetic variation can contribute to different clinically relevant complex traits like immune functions or response to cancer treatment. As a computational biologist, I use computational methods to study these questions. And you know, one of the research projects, projects that I think you've been involved with that I was interested has been related to functional genomics in, under, in understudied Indonesia. With Indonesia having the world's fourth largest population, how can we possibly accurately understand hu human genomes if we don't account for this population? Doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, so diversity or the lack of it, genomics research is a huge focus in the field right now. 
still most of genomic studies are done on European populations and often those results are not very easily transferable between populations. So studying diverse populations globally is really important for improving our knowledge of human genetic variation and ultimately delivering better and more personalized treatments for everyone. Indonesia is one of the areas that have been mostly excluded from large-scale genomic studies. And it was really cool to be able to contribute to these very first genomic studies. Do we have any sense, like, why up to this point there hasn't been much studies in well, Indonesia? Well, a lot of research is, is very Eurocentric and happens, like, in the more industrialized Western world. So there are parts of parts of the world that haven't really been captured by large-scale studies so far. What did you learn about human genomics based on the study of Indonesia? Well, Indonesia is an incredibly diverse part of the world environmentally, and there is also a lot of genetic variation that exists within Indonesia. And by surveying different populations across Indonesia, we learned about how differences in genetic variation can contribute to previously observed differences in different molecular phenotypes like DNA methylation and gene expression between Indonesian island populations. And understanding the different genetic and environmental drivers of traits like immune functions across different contexts and environments is really important for our understanding of human biology and health. So genetics has a long and maybe not so wonderful history with autism research. You're part of a work group with the UCLA ARP network to develop a framework and guidelines for ethical genetic and genomic autism research. Where is the work group at in terms of developing uh, this, this framework and, and their guidelines? We have now started to invite people to contribute to the work group and already this has formed into an international interdisciplinary collaboration which is incredibly exciting. The work group will bring together researchers, professionals and advocates across genetics, autism research and research ethics and the initial meeting with the a full work group will be held later this summer or fall and the work group will be drafting the guidelines next year. The guidelines will be published later together with other AIRP papers as a part of a journal supplement in pediatrics. The AIRP is also organizing a panel conversation about ethics in genetics and autism research. This conversation will be held as a part of the AUCD or Association of University Centers on Disabilities annual conference in Washington, D.C. later this year in November. The panelists will be autistic and autistic experts in genetics and bioethics. This panel discussion will be a really good way to bring the conversation to the autistic community and the wider disability community. And we're hoping to organize something similar at other conferences or meetings as well, maybe at INSAR next spring or some genetics conference like ASSG next year. And so far, the feedback I've been receiving has been that this conversation is incredibly important and long overdue. 
and I'm very hopeful that this will be a big step in the right direction and can have a real impact on how we do genetic studies in the autism space especially. So you seem like a very active human. <laughs> you have a lot going on, it seems, as you're also a member of the Global Autistic Task Force on Autism Research. Just a few months ago, the task force released an open letter in response to the Lancet Commission on the Future of Care and Clinical Research in Autism, condemning the Lancet Commission's assertion to adopt the term profound autism. Can you maybe talk a little bit why it was important for the task force to condemn this suggestion? Yeah, there's a lot to say about the Lancet Commission's paper, <laughs> and this was definitely one of the things that immediately a lot of autistic researchers and advocates noticed and reacted to. So for years already, autistic people have resisted functioning labels like low-functioning and high-functioning because they are often very misleading and considered by many to be also incredibly offensive. And the profound autism term is really just another way of saying low functioning. And in a way, it would be like a step backwards. It's more accurate and more useful to talk about specific support needs or specific co-occurring conditions of individuals than try to come up with a term to classify all autistic people who have perhaps significant support needs or conditions that don't necessarily even have anything to do with their autism. And the last commission's paper about the future of clinical autism research, I think is a very good example of how there is this disconnect and mismatch between the priorities and needs of autistic people and the priorities of the researchers studying autistic people. This is a problem that has been long recognized by the disability community. Autistic people should be included as equal partners in autism research, but that is currently rarely happening. And as a result, a big proportion of funded and published autism studies don't really benefit autistic people in any way, and some work can even be harmful. These are some of the issues that we're hoping to tackle with, for example, the AIRP Ethics and Genetics work group. Now, um, you mentioned autistic uh, researchers. Do you have suggestions for, for autistics or just researchers in general that want to get involved in research that actually benefits the autistic community? My recommendation would be to connect with autistic researchers and researchers and institutions that are committed to including autistic people in their work in a meaningful way. If autistic people have no decision-making power in an autism study, that should be an immediate major red flag. And luckily, there are more and more out and proud autistic researchers out there. And already this community of autistic researchers and allies is facilitating a lot of collaboration and collective action to bring positive change to the field. And this is how autistic inclusion and empowerment can translate to research benefits and well-being for all autistic people. I want I wanted to just go back to the Lancet Commission just for a second. I know they were taught, you know, they they used, you know, the term profound autism. Did they give any definition or explanation, because I don't know what that means. 
Well, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have like the paper in front of me right now, but basically the profound autism category would be for autistic people who have intellectual disability or a severe communication impairments or just autistic people who are have the biggest support needs and uh, at the same time are the most vulnerable. And lastly, how can people learn a little bit about you and your work beyond this interview? My Twitter handle is at HaneyMNotry and my website is HaneyMNotry.com and I will be giving status updates on the AIRP Ethics and Genetics Workgroup throughout the process, so stay tuned for that. I will be stay tuned for your Twitter. I will be paying attention to it, looking for those updates. Haney, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Haney for the conversation. To learn more about Haney, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach provides extraordinary support to live self-sufficient and purpose-driven lives through our customized coaching. If this is something that you're interested in, then please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.